Top 50 wrestlers with the special Dan podcast taking a week off. I mean, pretty much our whole December into January was eaten up in, by by special content this year, um, which is cool. Um, like I said, really enjoyed doing that Dan podcast, and this is the first time we've been back since that happened. Um, and this week <laughs> we are the Forbidden Shed, um, as you know, people are talking about forbidden doors. Well, what really constitutes a, a, a shed, right? What, is a door actually a bridge? I'm not sure. Quentin, how are you doing today? I'm all right, man. Yeah, we had a really busy, we had a really busy, busy December. Um, I'm like, I, like, per, like for me, I'm going right back into busy mode when when we do the top 100 pretty pretty soon with yeah. Brock. But yeah, yeah, man, I I needed that week off as soon as we finished recording that damn podcast. I think I told you, like, like, we're not doing a show next week. (laughs) Yeah, no. I mean, and and the thing was, we were going to take a week off. The the schedule got switched around, but initially the plan was just to show how cool we all are. We were going to record on the 1st of January, um, the Dan podcast, and have it come out that week, right? But but that got switched around. I don't even really know why exactly. I guess it just did and got moved up. Um, And so we ended up recording it earlier, but I mean, I was like, fuck it, stick with the same schedule that like, this is really next week's episode. And, and, and that week we were supposed to not have anything. So we kind of did. So that was nice. That was honestly kind of nice that we did it so much earlier then because it did like make it feel like a long time in between to like kind of reset the new year, um, which, you know, not to say like to not do the podcast, but like, like I said, to reset, it's a new year. And I've noticed you are going fucking crazy <laughs> like your spreadsheet is already <laughs> getting filled i have put nothing up and i've watched uh, probably a, a lot of the stuff that you have like looking over your sheet but i just haven't even put anything on there yet which i should have done it today but i've i've been kind of lazy today after uh staying up a little late last night and watching a uh 
maybe possible match of the year contender, I think, for me. Um, I'm not saying 100% that it's going to stay that way, but in the conversation. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I guess what's going on with this uh, this spreadsheet madness with you, Quentin? <laughs> Alright, so, like, I don't know what's going on, but, like, so, I have currently 75 matches already, like, watched and rated on my yeah. big 2020 tracker. I'm doing something different before. Like, I used to just, like, log every match I watched, put the rating, date, everything on that, but in a separate tracker. But then, like, everything that I had, like, four stars or higher, I would do a separate Google Doc for that, separated by region, and then I'd be, like, my match of the year thing. So... I think this year I'm just gonna keep everything on this Google on this Google spread on this Google spreadsheet, color coded and everything. And I'm gonna lie, I, I kind of like it. I kind of like having it sort of having it set up this way. But yeah, um, I think I've watched a match from like twelve different promotions already so far. Nice. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm like, I, I got, I'm probably not gonna keep this up. But I think something I've realized in just doing this is that one. It's so easy to watch all of this wrestling, just from like, I barely even had, I barely even had to like leave my own bedroom to do any to do a lot of this stuff. Right. IWTV has an app. I can I can find other I can find this all Japan. AEW comes on TV. DDT has a streaming service. Well, obviously with the has Tokyo Joshi Pro on it. WWE Network speaks for itself. New Japan speaks for itself. Um, so I was really able to watch all of this for like from the comfort of my room. Which was which was a big thing that I, that I think that was like that was help that was helpful here, just because like I mean shit three two one streams on Twitch I get like Twitch has apps that go on to to your to your Fire TV and everything, OTT I can play on the uh, Fire TV browser like it, it was just I didn't have to go anywhere and I was like fuck I like fuck, I'll just I'll watch all this wrestling but I'm at a disgusting pace at this point yeah you're you're hitting it hard in the beginning of the year and I found the past few years I usually I kind of log I, I mean that's what I always did was I just logged everything on like the main one I log everything in the beginning of the year and then I usually like kind of lose steam keeping track but I found that like that's all that I really need because I'm using my tracker for like the end of the year stuff especially like the top 50 wrestler thing and like I remember the more recent stuff, so it's nice to have, like, the early year stuff somewhere that I can just look that over, because that's all I really right. need, and then I can remember the stuff after that. So it's funny, it's, like, worked out. I'm going to try this year to, like, actually stick with it and just put everything on there. Um, you you but, know what the key, you know what the key is? Because I don't know if you do, like, Excel or, like, a Google spreadsheet, but the key to it is that as soon as you're done, or even while you're watching it, just get, you got to put that rating in. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. like you because if because if you don't, it's gonna pile up, and you're not gonna want to do it, and everything. Like you got to do it when you're watching, or even like as soon as you're done watching the wrestling. Cause like, right. believe me, I'll I'll sit there and I'll not even touch my spreadsheet for like two or three weeks, and I've watched like fifty matches, and I'm like, fuck, I'm gonna put all of this in. Right. No, I know. I gotta make sure I don't get any backlog. Number one, so I need to get started on it. And then number two, like a lot of times, I'm watching wrestling on my phone, so it's like to go into the spreadsheet and add the rating at the same time. <laughs> takes a but actually, I got a new phone that has, like, a case that has a dual screen, so I can watch stuff and go on there and do the rating at the same time now. So that'll make that a lot easier. Um, so, yeah, I got to keep up on that. Um, so, yeah, uh, match last night that we both thoroughly enjoyed. Was that the only thing you watched on the 321 Battle Show last night? Was the, uh, the Dan versus... I'm, I'm, I, guess, I guess really, I guess really watch. I caught... 
some of the Steve the, some of the Steve Miggs match and the loser in the losers um six man tag for the uh, rest of the G zero participants. But as far as stuff that I actually paid attention to, yeah, it was just Daniel Makame versus Judas Icarus. Yeah, yeah. The uh, that Miggs match was pretty good, man. Miggs is uh he's pretty good for for you know being a radio host DJ as as Dan told us who decided to become a wrestler in his forties or whatever. I mean, he's kind of got something there he he kind of reminds me of like uh you know a pg version of paul robinson or something like it's it's kind of yeah it's kind of funny um he's got that vibe a little bit and he's just kind of a piece of shit cocky kind of asshole um that works for him and he was going up against uh jacob right yeah and uh, that was Mm. that was a solid one um and then yeah i mean dan and and jude i mean looking at it people are going crazy for it the fans in the building threw money into the ring like they do in lucha libre um, they, I mean, they told it a phenomenal story. They opened up with a really hot pace, which was nice. Kind of felt reminiscent of the the recent match with um, Elliot Tyler, Judas's partner. That like and and, 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 it made, and it made and it made sense just because you know like Icky is sort of a fit, like fidgety, energetic character, especially in his babyface work. So his best chance against Dan, and he realizes it is keeping the pace up because once Dan slows the match down, Iggy was totally out of out of his league. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I think I mentioned it before um but uh but like I kind of I was bummed out when Liza lost to Dan, but I kind of talked myself into understanding why it makes sense for Dan to win the whole thing cuz you're still establishing the tournament. So I think that that was a good move there. Um and obviously leads to a matchup that I've been very you know, excited for. I think Dan has been excited to have against uh, Desi Duarte, the three-two-one battle champion. So that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be exciting. Um, right, right here, right here, though. I mean, like, I like, I don't, I don't usually stay up late for these um for the three-two-one shows. They start at nine Pacific time. I would say I live on the East Coast, so it's already midnight for me. And by the time some of these main events are going on, you know, it's getting on to two, getting on to three a.m. But this was a match that I was really excited for. Me and you both think Dan is a top ten wrestler, top ten wrestler on the planet at this point. And Judas Icarus, he made your top fifty along with Elliot Tyler, and he's a guy that I think I really take a step into making my top fifty for twenty twenty. So I was super intrigued by this, and like yeah, like maybe like I took I took a liking to to Icky more than I have like some of the some of the other talent in the Pacific Northwest or whatever but there's a good reason I think Icky's really good and I think this match was part of why uh, part of like why I'm so high on him because again like name me more guys that can go out there at 21 years old and have this super compelling baby baby face performance in the biggest in the biggest match of his career against the top guy in 3-2-1 but then also go to ECCW and have this big blow off gimmick match style thing as the heel and sort of the scumbag of the match against your t- against your uh, just as young tag team partner. And again, Ellie, like Ellie had a really good match with Dan too, but I think that just showed like the range that Icky has. That thing is going to take him really far to have something like that EC- ECCW brawl with with Elliot and then have this match with Dan. Yeah, and you, I mean, you mentioned that, but there's also the, the fantastic feud that that the Strays have been having with Four Minutes of Heat, so it's kind of yeah. like, yeah, I mean, the the range, obviously that goes to both guys' cases there, but, like, the range that, that Icarus has as a, as a 
heel in singles, a heel in tag, a babyface in singles, a babyface in tag. Really similar, you know, in some ways, but but definitely very different. And even this, I mean, comparing this to their first match, this being the rematch, and it's complete. It feels like completely switched. Um, with like you said, like Judas was the major heel in their first match. Um, really snot nosed rat boy <laughs> kind of thing going on. <laughs> and then uh and then this match he's the lovable baby face and his, you know, goofy suspenders and like you said, fidgety and all over the place and just weird energy. The crowd getting super behind him as he's getting worked over and and, and Dan Macabe playing the uh the uh you know stoic controlling mean ba- heel. Love when he does that, you know, corner stand choke spot. That's that's always great. Yeah. Oh, dude, I love the count. The count out spot was so fucking good because again, like Dan's a clear heel in it. And sorry, like spoilers if you haven't like you know right watched this watch this match already. So, but like my like one of my favorite parts in it is Dan, who's like clearly the heel here, and Icky, who's fighting for his life and out on the outside of the ring and getting very close to being counted out. Dan is just keeps looking at him and he keeps looking back at the ref and you see this look on Dan's face and he's like fuck like I can't win like this like beat like beating this 20 being this 21 year old kid by count out doesn't doesn't prove my point and it doesn't and it, and it doesn't make me look doesn't make me look strong coming out of this I got I got I got to end this the right way and it almost cost him and I think that's something that I really wanted like that that moment to bring is that Dan's going to ha- Dan's going to have this moment where he's trying to be a be a sportsman and do things the quote unquote right way, and it might and it might come back to bite him in the ass. But then still outclass outclass him in the end. It's a great match, a great story. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend doing so. I get it that going on Twitch to go and find a single wrestling match can be real, can be very tiresome and annoying. Trust me, I've been there, <laughs> but is 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 very worth it, and it's a super star maker for 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 icky i think this is gonna be a match that gets floated around everywhere and gets some more prominent bookings and really you know for for dan he's two for two the kurt stallion match in new south was good and here he is out the gate having one of the best matches of the month against against icky yeah yeah big uh looks like a, a big 2020 for dan continuing on and then like you said it, it maybe a breakout year for for judas moving forward here which Makes sense. I mean, the the kids got it obviously, and uh, it's just about putting putting together the resume like this to start get him getting him out there. And there's a lot of other people in the Pacific Northwest that are really good. We're, we're talking about it constantly, but it it really feels like kind of the growth region. It's this weird scene that people aren't paying attention to as much, and there's a lot of really cool stuff. I hear it getting. I think I heard some kind of Pacific Northwest shout out on some podcasts and stuff. People are starting, I think, to take notice that there's just so much good stuff happening out there. Um, but I think that 2020 can continue to continue to grow. Um, big news. I mean, so there's some more weirdness with Teddy Hart. Obviously, we all know about that. Uh, some you know, online super sleuths figured out that like his cover story for how why he wouldn't be involved with his uh, ex girlfriend disappearing doesn't make sense because he wouldn't have been in jail at the time that he claims that he was in jail that's why he wouldn't know which is an interesting alibi to try to use i mean like you can't lie to the police about that you were in jail at a time when you weren't in jail so this is like yeah that's that's like actual legitimate documentation yeah they're gonna have that information so this is a lie that he's using openly just to be like public relations it seems which is very interesting to uh, to wonder 
Um, Teddy Hart, always a weird guy. I mean, he's you know, he's hinted and rumored at being involved in like weird government stuff too. And this is feels like it goes down in a weird place where I'm like, does he not care about having a real legitimate alibi because he knows he's not going to actually get in trouble? He's not being kind of the police aren't after him right now or i don't know what is he just a psycho i don't fucking know but uh really really weird stuff from teddy hart as always um yeah i mean yeah you have any thoughts on on teddy's weirdness no nah, yeah no nah, I, I, I got nothing on teddy dude i, I just yeah. look I, I i just i just wish this we were, were in a point where people stopped and just realized like teddy hart's a piece of shit and we just you know, right. <laughs> stop giving him attention, but that's, no, that's not going to happen. Right. You know, got some guy who feels like a fucking Vince Russo knockoff uh, doing a, some Twitch interview with Teddy where he's you know, screaming and doing the epitome of that, you know, that online guy who's like, you know, edgy and weird, but is always like, yeah, but if you mess with kids, bro, if you mess with kids, that's when, you know, and it's just, I mean, it's cool. I mean, yeah, but he was definitely in the, like, in the right. Yeah. And he's the only person that's really called out Teddy Hart there, which... I think you could tell by how Teddy acted is that no one has like no one has ever like confronted him directly, whether it was like in his face or like in an interview about the about the stuff he's done or the way he, or the way he's acted. Yeah. Which yeah, he gave me like definitely like some kayfabe commentary, shoot interview vibes from like from like twenty twelve, twenty thirteen. But like yeah, like I, I would just at least glad someone was like, no, Teddy, here's what he, like here's why you can't do this. <laughs> Right, it's it, it, like I said, like Vince Russo. I don't know if you remember when Vince Russo was, you know, Vic Venom, um, and he was yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. a shock. He was like a wrestling shock jock kind of character, probably modeled after Howard Stern, honestly, with uh, with Russo being a, a New York guy. And kind of had, like I said, kind of had that vibe, which it's like, you know, as weird as it is, sometimes those like shock jock people, Howard Stern famously is one of them. It's like they do kind of do something positive for, you know, the conversation and community as a whole. Even if they're like, you can say like they're crass or lowbrow or whatever, like having someone who is willing to speak up and say things, even if it's like rude and shitty, sometimes is a good thing. Um, and it does kind of inoculate, you know, the world from lies and bullshit. I mean, honestly, that's part of probably why so many people fall for this bullshit. We're like, you know, what's going on in politics and stuff is that there's not a lot of people who are willing to go out there and be as confrontational on the side of, you know, the right or not the right, but like the positive, the, the, the true things. Right. And it's more like only people who are willing to go out there and be loud and confrontational with lies. So basically I'm just saying people who, uh, who are looking, you know, to, to tell people about the truth, more and more of them need to just be rude assholes. I think that's the step <laughs> more, you know, left wing, uh, people being rude assholes. And one person who is, uh, you know, a left wing person who's willing to be rude and a dick online is David Starr. <laughs> calling out Gabe Sapolsky for blocking him for uh, standing up for the boys. I saw this firing up with like, you know, Brian Cage getting, you know, in there with some with some stuff too. And I remembered, I mean, fuck, just like was it 2018? Uh, that really great Brian Cage Fred Yehai match uh, for the uh, FIP yeah. title. It's like that wasn't that long ago and that was like Gabe's second tier brand. I'm like, I wonder how much Cage was getting paid for that, but he's sitting here talking about how he stood up and refused to go back. Um, not only not only that, it's just like you, know, like you don't have to go super far back to see Gabe being shitty to people like Darby Allen and Fred Yehi. Like Fred Yehi hasn't been as public with like the like the stuff that he like the stuff that was going on with him and Gabe, just because that's not the kind of person that Fred is. But Darby Allen has gone on record as saying "fuck evolve," right? And like Gabe, like Gabe not giving him enough to 
not live in his car, despite the fact that Darby was working every single Evolve show and working and working working FIP and all the and all this stuff. And Fred Yehai was working literally every single WWN show at at at, at a point. Yeah, and you know, deciding that you're like you're not gonna pay those guys, even though you're putting more weight on their backs than literally anyone else on your com- in your company. So. Like Gabe, like Gabe is Gabe is known for this, and you don't you don't have to, you don't have to go super far back for it. But yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that Gabe, instead of confronting these points head on, he coward he you know coward he takes the coward's way out and blocks David Starr. Which again, this is a little shocking. You, you know, Gabe is a poster at his at his at heart. You know, yeah. real online has never not been online message board forum guy used that to curse fan. people out and all that stuff you know he's he's all he's all that stuff oh, yeah. and you know that gabe definitely was backed into a corner where he didn't even feel the feel like feel like he could properly respond enough to david Starr that he had to block him yeah i know he basically just he had to to log off um you know yeah in, in a way and it i mean part of it's probably you know he's he does have direct connections now with wwe and he can't be as messy online but he, i mean he really has been the whole fucking time he's like doesn't stop. I mean, a, I mean, if there's anyone that WWE would allow you would allow you to bury publicly, it is David Starr. Yeah, right. Just because, just, be, just because, just because, just because, out of David Starr's mouth, WWE does not like him and has and has said we are not messing with this guy. Yeah, he's, out of his mouth, he said that. So it's like, if there's anyone that you could like bury publicly and not and get away with it, it's probably David Starr. Right, and he, uh, yeah, I mean, he said he's been blacklisted from multiple promotions because of WWE, which is interesting. He's really doing a great job with that. And one person you mentioned there who did something interesting with kind of a bad situation was Darby Allen. I mean, like, like the whole car thing and everything that was going on there, he he played it up and he made that into something that people cared about. And he didn't at the time he wasn't talking shit. He like used it as a positive. And then it is interesting now to think back and be like, yeah, like he did a really good job of spinning that, but he was like in a position where he didn't have an option like he wasn't yeah he was, li- he was living in his fucking car yeah, like, <laughs> you know he, he made it out like it was like part of his character in his life but it was i mean it was his fucking life it was fucking that sucks he was their guy and then they never you know went all the way and it's interesting to think like adam page talked shit about gabe similar stuff adam page famously you know didn't didn't continue to work or ethan page um ethan page sorry i kept saying adam page. yeah Ethan Page and like famously Ethan Page chose to not like try to get a bunch of PWG bookings and you know openly said because it doesn't pay well same thing with a guy who ended up showing up and evolved for like a, a quick spell before he got signed in uh, Shane Strickland uh, Isaiah Scott he said online like oh yeah I'm cool on PWG because I'm looking to actually get paid for my wrestling right but he did show up and evolve for like a you know a hot second there but I it was like it was that one little it seemed like it was a one little test run before they brought him or officially signed him so maybe that was the the reasoning there is they literally asked him to for wwe because otherwise he was not going back there you know i mean the the storyline that they played up that he got one chance and then didn't come again probably had to do with pay i mean he's a guy who we saw cared about fucking getting what he was what he was owed getting what he deserved you know you know you know know what it is is that like places like evolve at their at their at their heyday and PWG is that again they paid they paid an exposure and if you were really like thought, thought that this PWG booking would take you to the next level it didn't matter if it didn't pay at all if it paid crumbs compared to what your normal rate is you would take that PWG booking because if you go out there and have a great match you know that you're one step closer to achieving whatever it is and whether that's that WWE deal ROH New Japan Impact whatever it was 
being good in PWG was that next step for you and same thing with Evolve. And now more than ever, and again, I don't know how much GCW is paying dudes, so maybe I'm not going to say now more than ever, but it seems like at least currently, like a lot of dudes are, are willing to work these places because like it's not really an exposure thing at this point. It seems like you can like you can get exposure anywhere because all these all these promotions are on the same streaming services, same streaming services essentially. So it's like okay, yeah, like you can you you could make a decent you can make a decent buzz just off of working like beyond in Chikara or without a cause and and all these other things because you know it's it's all under the same umbrella compared to like before the streaming service era of wrestling really where everything was all was scattered all over the place. Yeah, and I mean, that kind of plays into another news story that kind of happened this week with it all being in one streaming service, even more consolidation in that realm and that IWTV and SmartMark officially merge. Um, I heard, maybe heard Dylan, saw Dylan say that like there was already a working relationship. All of the uh, Throwback Thursday content that was being posted was coming from SmartMark um, directly and being uploaded to... Uh, Power or IWTV almost fucking said Powerbomb. Jesus Christ! It means it, it, it was it was Powerbomb for like two years. I know, <laughs> I know, but man, I mean that is like that was a while ago at this point. Um, but yeah, so uh, so I mean, even more consolidation, even more feeling like, I mean, so it's no secret that you know, I know Quentin. We or not Quentin. I know Dylan. We both know Dylan. We've had him on the podcast. I've talked to him for years. There's an old interview you can listen to me talking to him about like anarcho-capitalism anarcho-communism um different like political stuff in, in that regard it's probably online still somewhere and like knowing that he's involved with the company that's now becoming the company that is making it so wrestlers are getting paid what they deserve and not getting taken advantage of um maybe the promotions aren't making a ton of money off of the streaming but realistically at this point in 2019 that business that segment of your kind of business is probably flat or or dying um as is it's not like before when you could make your kind of your nut off of selling dvds uh you've got to make your money at the door you got to get people in the building to run a viable wrestling show at this point um so the streaming stuff is really (laughs) weirdly now the promotions are the ones who are kind of getting paid and exposure by the streaming services they get you know something i'm not saying that they don't get anything but they're not making a ton of money off of you know IWTV and that's kind of the business model because it was kind of you could put it on YouTube like Beyond did but obviously that model fell apart when you saw that YouTube was going would be more than willing to make whatever decision they want at a you know drop of a hat without giving any warning and then you're not making any money off of that so you can't count on it you can count on IWTV at least somewhat and you don't necessarily like need that's not going to be like a big segment of your of your business so also like Again, like realistically, no one's gonna keep buying DVDs, or it's 2020, so no one's gonna keep buying the DVDs. And how much are you gonna ask people to to keep buying individual shows with for these MP4 downloads when there's streaming services where you can th- where you can access the entire library of promotion for eight dollars a month? Yeah, no. and like like it, like that's a whole, like that's a lot to keep asking for from wrestling fans. And event and I felt like eventually that was gonna drop, and I don't know. What this is going to turn into, I don't know if this means AAW and AIW, where all these promotions are going to start doing this stuff on IWTV. I think they might keep doing Fight TV for stream, for streaming purposes. We don't know that stuff yet. But, like, yeah, like, imagine trying to keep up with AAW and AIW and all that stuff. And it's like, you can't justify dropping $15, $15 per show on, on this stuff when you can get the when you get the entire OTT library for eight for eight fifty. 
Yeah. Like, like it just it just doesn't make any sense. No, and it took a little bit longer, honestly, for it to happen in wrestling, but this is the same thing that happened in music. Like, bands, musicians can't make their money off of off of selling CDs, selling records like they used to. So a lot of them make their money off of the tour, and that's the live show, that's the gate. That's the same thing in wrestling. Like, these promotions are now needing to justify being able to run their shows and make their money off of the gate. And if you can't, unfortunately, I mean, that's going to be it for you. Like, you're not going to be able to stick around. So PWG had a rough patch. They had shows at the Globe. I mean, unfortunately, their their venue that worked out with them with a good deal closes down, gets sold, and is demolished at this point. Um, but, like, they had to deal with now we're running a bigger venue that's more expensive. It's in a, you know, easier to get to better part of the city. But I, you know, hear fans complaining about that they don't want to be in downtown. I understand that. It's funny because if you look at crime statistics, the uh, San Fernando Valley, where they used to have the shows, uh, actually has higher violent crime uh, rates than downtown Los Angeles. But don't tell the, you know, the people waiting in line because they're scared that there's homeless people around or whatever. Um, but, uh, but, uh, you know, they, they had some stumbling blocks. They had shows that aren't selling out. They don't have the buzz that they used to. And that's probably part of the same thing. DVDs aren't as important. People aren't paying as much of attention. You can kind of see a lot of the matches that they're putting on or the styles of matches that they're putting on everywhere. And they lost a lot of stars all at the same time, all getting signed up by WWE. We'll see how things go. You feel like there's some kind of connection between PWG and AEW and haven't really seen anything too much. ROH wrestlers are showing back up in, uh, in PWG. It's kind of funny to think that... Uh, Jeff Cobb basically just recently dropped the PWG title, and then uh, now his <laughs> contract seems to have opened up to where he's going to be able to work wherever he wants again. So we'll see where everything goes. But yeah, I mean, the business has changed, and like I said, music music was already this way, but now wrestling is is kind of following the same market. I mean, yeah, because like music, like again, like really, just business wise, music and wrestling weren't too far. Just because, like again, like from the whole, like the whole independent standpoint, that. Yeah, once you're not selling CDs, the physical CDs anymore, like, like <laughs> you're not making any money. So yeah, I'm 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 fully on board with it. I think another thing too is that all these promotions they can't do their own individual streaming services services either, because now imagine from the flip side of it, okay, like okay, we're gonna update with the times. Now we're gonna do our own, now we're gonna do our own streaming service. Okay, well now you want people to pay for their. WWE Network and New Japan World and their WXW and their IWTV and their Fight TV and their and their Honor Club, but they all but but then you also want them to subscribe to like a I don't know like a like a like a H two O wrestling streaming service, right. <laughs> like, yeah, like like that's not gonna happen. So uh, going under like a bigger umbrella for these kind of companies is the best option here because again you're gonna you're gonna risk the point. Of no longer being able to make money off of your off of your product, right? I mean, they should have more people should have jumped on it sooner when you saw what happened with Progress and kind of they they were the first ones who their streaming service really blew them up as a promotion. Um, that was the time to strike. Now you get companies and they're trying to do it now. They're trying to start their own streaming service now. It's like, what are you thinking? I mean, Riptide did it sort of, and I think that they do okay with their streaming service, but I... I Riptides Rip, Rip is, Rip, Rip is cheaper, which is why I think theirs works. I think theirs is like 4 or $5. Yeah. Like, like so, what, like, that, and that's different, but a lot of these ones, like, I, I can't imagine they'd all have the savvy to understand that, hey, we're not, we're not on the, on, we're not on the same level as some of these in the other, other indies. We shouldn't go for their price range. I, again, I imagine some fucking, like, 
no like fucking terrible Pennsylvania indie looks at this and like okay set it at nine dollars a month no one's gonna pay nine dollars a month for your shit like, like you're gonna yeah. have to do something you gotta, you gotta have to do something different here yeah yeah you gotta have a, something special to, to pull that off um but speaking of having something special <laughs> this is quite a, a segue I think uh, I, I don't I don't know where this is going biggest so. <laughs> star the, the the girl that everyone's talking about um gonna be the first woman to win a major wrestling company's heavyweight championship probably tonight or tomorrow night um tessa blanchard and all the skeletons in the closet that people have whispered about for years and talked about with her are kind of coming out um a little bit more publicly you've even got someone you know taking credit for being the person that she spat on and called the n-word um pretty pretty cool stuff there Again, I mean, people are allowed to grow and change, and and that doesn't, you know, obviously decide who she is as a person completely, but she has made no effort to apologize or to really kind of come out of it. If anything, she's kind of attacked and and said that none of it's true. You got multiple people kind of confirming the stories over and over again, and it's hard for me to believe that they would be coming out like this because, like I said, we've heard whisperings of these stories forever. Tessa's hard to deal with. Maybe we'll even get into some stuff later. Reviewing one of her matches can be a little bit political, can be a little bit of a headache to deal with, all that kind of stuff. She's rude. She's got a bad attitude. Hear all this for years and years, but nobody really comes out and tells the stories completely. There's whispering this and that, but people are putting this out on the timeline, fucking just going savage and giving exact details and completely saying the story. So to your only defense to be say you're lying you're all just making this up is not a great look honestly and it doesn't make me want to believe that like she has grown as a person and isn't you know as problematic the only growth that she's really done is been able to keep it quiet for the past couple years and part of that is probably because she's only an impact she's not really working anywhere else so they all know if she is being rude or shitty to anybody in impact like she's the queen bee Obviously, they fucking love her, so everyone's probably just keeping their mouth shut because they didn't want to risk their job. And then now that there's people like Chelsea Green, who's debuted in WWE, she's obviously important. They're interested. They like her, you know, they're, they because they have her do this really interesting story where she's a free agent and shows up on Raw. Um, and basically, we're trying to like see what we want to do with her, and then she settles into she looks like she's going to be an NXT wrestler. But like that's not a storyline that they've done before with the brands having someone actually be debuted as like this is a big time free agent. All the brands want her, right? So obviously Chelsea's important, so she's not going to worry about catching heat for calling her out, and she does, and she goes online and basically says that Tessa, why did you post this? Basically bragging about like women's inclusiveness when you're a piece of shit to women, which is a great fucking question. <laughs> Uh, Quentin, what do you think of this uh, this whole situation? I just don't get why people like Kiera Hogan and Diamante Azul and Big Swole Ariel Monroe and Larry Dallas are so quick to cape for Tessa Blanchard when she made no effort to apologize. That's That's been my big takeaway here, is that if Tessa had at least acknowledged in, a, in one of the tweets that, yeah, these things happen, I made, I made mistakes... And at least like accepted accepted responsibility, then yeah, you could at least then yeah, I could see I could see being like, oh, there's Chelsea Green and Allison K being like this is sour grapes. Well, no, she doesn't make any effort to apologize. So it's weird to me how people how Diamante and Kiera Hogan and Larry Dallas are like people make mistakes. There's people there's just people ganging up on one person like this is Mean Girls with Regina with Regina George. Um, 
you're like you're all you're all only doing this because Tessa has her big moment coming up coming up tomorrow. It's real convenient that all you guys are saying it just us all, all you're saying this just now, and it's like, okay, well, did she like did, did she apologize? Did she apologize for abusing Isla Dawn, or verbal or or abusing La, 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 La Rosa Negra? Like yeah, using or a racial slur basically. Like or yeah or or, or anything like this. Or like no, she hasn't apologized for any for any of this. And the fact that there's almost like like nearly a dozen women who's done who've who've who've, who've looked at this stuff and have had similar experiences and can co-sign a lot of the stuff that's being said, from Faye Jackson to to Renee Michelle to <laughs> to like to, 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 to like all these, to these other people, Priscilla Priscilla Kelly, yeah, saying saying all this stuff. Come on, man! Like no one's making no one's making this up. I'm sorry. It's I'm sorry, too, no one's making this many, up. It's too many people. Like, it really is. If it was a couple, whatever. But, like, literally almost everyone who's ever worked with her or been around her is coming out saying that this shit is true, except for, like, a handful of a few people. One of which, Larry Dallas, what the fuck, dude? Like, I get one thing capping for someone and just, like, standing up for them. Why did he feel the need to admit to having used the N-word? Like, what? Or, or, Playing video or, games! Yeah. Okay. Randy like, Orton, look, like admitting to being Randy Orton, I guess. I don't fucking know. Like, like, look. Here's the thing. I'm of the belief that a majority of the white people in the world have said the N word at least once in their life. Yeah, I do believe that. But, uh, but there's a difference from at least saying it and like in, a, in an innocuous capacity. And you're playing a video game, and the first thing that comes to your mind is just saying like nigga or something like i like i think that's insane listen like you can't say we've all been playing the dozen (laughs) with our boys on the corner you know and just like and just and just just shout it out (laughs) screaming it at the top of your lungs what the fuck man like that's one like that's like i I don't understand that but yeah like going back to tessa look people people that were defending her were going with this idea that all you guys are only poo-pooing on Tessa now because she's about to have a big moment tomorrow and that you wish that you were that you wish that you were where Tessa's at and all that stuff so let's be clear on a few things there's a reason why Tessa Blanchard isn't in WWE yeah it's not because it's not because this like whatever racism like it's WWE they don't care about that Tessa Blanchard was a nightmare for years do you don't think that if Tessa Blanchard wasn't at least like Part like partially as difficult as as is making it seem like she was, you don't think the WWE, WWE would be tripping over their dicks to put Charlotte and Tessa Blanchard together, whether it would be like as rivals or tag team partners. Yeah, but like yes, that's a third generation woman in like this era well, where I WWE more than ever. Generation. Uh, it's Joe and Tully. I don't know. I don't know if Joe's it's like Joe's dad was a wrestler and promoter as well. Okay, shit. Okay, she's all right. a fourth generation wrestler. She would a be, fourth generation. She'd be the first fourth generation wrestler in WWE. A fourth generation woman at that. Yeah. And you're telling me that in this era where WWE for more more than ever feels the pressure to to book women strongly, that they wouldn't be salivating over themselves to have Tessa Blanchard on their roster? <laughs> Come on, you like like there's a reason why she isn't in WWE. Yeah. So, so, so when everyone's saying this, it's like, no, she's an impact because WWE, they, they can't, they can't, they, they, they just can't do it. They don't want her. <laughs> like, right. It's, it's, it's strange, man. It's strange. And all I, all I wanted was an apology. It's still hours later. <laughs> There's been no it's apology. Not it's not coming. She, yeah. she didn't talk on the, she didn't talk on the impact conference call. <laughs> 
she like it like yeah but yeah, yeah man like I, I don't know all, all i wanted was an apology and it looks like we're not even getting that yeah and then you get how could she be racist her boyfriend is, is mexican you know like that that kind of shit is coming out like, okay <laughs> yeah, okay cool. can, can we come on like come on, can, one thing that i see is like jordan grace is catching a lot of strays yes and like again i don't know if i'm if i just haven't been paying attention but it feels like people just like i don't know just like had like decided to shit on jordan grace and like she has said stupid shit in the past like jordan like jordan's another one that if you remember early enough in her career she had a reputation from being difficult to work with and kind of entitled and all and all that stuff so but but still like if like jordan grace catching strays here is is like feels like feels weird but you know like all right yeah people love just dunking on her i i mean i it seems like her main offense is people think that she's doing cultural appropriation for dating a black man, which is fucking weird, but okay, I guess, whatever. Um, that's fine, you can think that, but yeah, it's like, just any excuse to, to side and attack her too, and it's just like, uh, kind of make your point look bad by doing stuff like that. Just focus on the, what's at hand that's like legit, so you don't seem like a fucking you know, histrionic psychopath who's just got an axe to grind. But, you know, whatever. You know, people can do and say whatever they want, I guess. Um... Yeah, I mean, all that stuff that you talk about, and it just makes you think, like, you know, Tessa became the thing in in Impact when, kind of when the the new Don Callis, uh, Scott Demore regime took over, uh, because Don Callis obviously really likes, really has a thing for her, and, and he also really likes Sammy Callahan, who's another guy who's oh. thought of it being difficult, you know? He's obviously got a type that he enjoys, which is people who come across like superstars by being pricks. You know, you, look, here's the thing, I want to be clear, Tessa is great. She is. She really did a great job. Like, it does seem like she toned down. She's not as bad. She really to- like honed in her personality. She went from this like really detestable heel to like a valiant, fighting, cool baby face. Tessa's awesome. But you can acknowledge all these things and still be like, okay, like, <laughs> like, 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 what the fuck are you doing here? Like, why are you getting on here just to deny the stuff? Instead of apologize when you have dead near a dozen women saying the exact same things about you. I know. Like, but it's, it's a shame because Tessa really is worth the hype. Is is she this like game changing star? Probably not. There's no like, there's no tangible evidence of that. But like, Tessa's really good for wrestling, and it's just a shame that like on the, on this big weekend she decides to put out some insincere an insincere tweet that leads to this because her winning this title should be a big deal yeah and now it's going to be a little bit overshadowed by a certain segment of the fan base who are busy thinking about this and and like you said is she going to change the wrestling world no it's a little bit too late for that wwe has already done that with the four horsewomen and kind of changed the landscape of what women's wrestling can be but would she be a nice piece to that would like you were talking about the relationship to charlotte the history of the four horsewomen that they love or the four horsemen, but they love talking about the four horsewomen right now with the MMA group and the and the girls in WWE. And you kind of go like, God, Tessa would be a huge piece of that. She could be a huge piece of that. So yeah, would she change the wrestling world? No, it's a little bit too late. The wrestling world has already changed. Um, but could she be part of the vanguard of the people who really concretely established that this change is legit and going to you know be around for a while? I think so. And unfortunately, yeah, it's 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 an attitude issue, um, and it's weird it's so weird because you just i don't i don't get where it comes from like you know whatever though like you know i guess in some ways she's like wrestling royal family so she thinks she's entitled to stuff but you just you don't hear about stuff like this from like cody you know people talk about cody no, being if, a mark if, for himself and stuff but like you know 
you don't hear the same attitude. If you if if you look at if you again if you look at the stuff that like Renee Michelle and La Rosa Negra were saying, they were scared of being blackballed by Tessa Blanchard. So yes, like that means Tessa Blanchard, you know, and her full you know influence over wrestling, you know, a pretty you know pretty young white woman that has the world that has the world at their fingertips, and if you're gonna go with anyone. And you know, make them your star, or or given to their demand, it's gonna be Tessa Blanchard. Yeah, they were scared for their careers that it would be like just like trying to like combat and deal with Tessa. That's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, speaking of Tessa, the show we were going to review opens up with a Tessa Blanchard match. So you want to uh, want to get into that? Uh, yeah, sure. Like ICW New York, they ran on they ran on January fourth. Uh, I think the afternoon or whatever but I don't, I, don't, I don't think this was like a this was a late show was it i don't think so but uh yeah i don't have the exact time but uh but yeah i think it was earlier in the day and it did it did stream live i think as well yeah stream live icw new york has been around for a little bit and they were doing this new series called no holds barred volume you know did the first volume of, for no for the first volume of the no holds barred series and i think they're gonna be doing volume two at mania weekend yeah and pretty much it's just you know the ring is barbed wire <laughs> like, so yeah it's just, you know, just a bar just barbed wire ropes all over the place and there's usually weapons um and in and, and all around the corners of the ring and all that stuff so it's not necessarily a hardcore show but it does not deter you from doing from from doing that stuff either yeah it's like a fight, um, it's like a kind of a fight club setting it's really like you know yeah like they, they take down the ring ropes they put the um the, the whatever the launch pads um whatever they i can't remember what they used to call it in roh doesn't really matter um put those up in the corner and then uh and then the rules are knockout referee stoppage on no, a pinfall referee stoppage only no submission um and you can take it whatever way you want and we get a couple well really we only get like one ma- maybe one or two matches that don't go eh, three matches that don't go into like the blood and guts like but they do bring a fight club kind of vibe so like the killer cross match was like more of like a this is a tough kind of fight club vibe because that's his kind of gimmick that he's carrying right now takeda and and loki obviously go more of like a you know uh the final fight on a kung fu movie kind of vibe uh but they'd get a little bit hardcore with some choking and stuff like that and and moth and mance are really just like a big time strong style you know kick-ass brawl but uh, but other matches get yeah like weapons and and blood and guts and fighting around the ring. Um, so yeah, pretty cool concept. I think like I said, it's kind of a hybrid of like a deathmatch show and a, a shoot style tournament. I think is the vibe that they're going for. So kind of like a um, yeah like a like a Fight Club kind of thing. And 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 they pull it off. I think they, it worked pretty well here. I'll be interested to see what they do over WrestleMania weekend um, with this concept. Open up the show, Nick Gage, Tessa Blanchard. I really enjoyed this match. Um, no, yeah, yeah, I liked it too. Yeah, I mean, Tessa kicked ass, Gage kicked ass. We're watching this before, you know, she was a confirmed racist or whatever. So, yeah. Gage is um, he attacks he attacks Tessa during the introductions. So he's like stomping the shit out of Tessa, and he's still making Larry still making Larry Legend do his introduction. Yeah, and it's so fucking good. Yeah, I mean. I, I just popped on like a show the like a oh something streaming live and I just caught like the end of it and it's like a St. Louis Anarchy and Gage just cutting a promo in the middle of the ring um, to end the show out then you like pop onto you know Beyond and Gage is there acting like a fucking psychopath coming out to the ring with the fans just going nuts they're they're all kind of jumping and doing that high five thing that they do then you get this and I mean 
Gage kind of is the man. I mean, it's fucking weird, but dude, on like, indie wrestling, he is the man. Dude, you know, you know what was funny is that um, I was actually listening back to our first Psychology Is That episode when we when we did the uh, Gresham and Zach yeah, series, yeah. and what we started off was talking about like our relationship with Beyond as a promotion. And we and remember this is like this is like summer twenty sixteen, so we were both talking about like how like we just weren't a fan of like fans of like the ironic Nick Gage booking just because I felt like Gage we I guess we both felt like Gage just hasn't like hadn't been good yet right in in these spots they were putting him in, so five years later, because remember those Gage bookings started in like twenty fifteen, man five years later Nick Gage is still like a super in demand and like legitimate star and. I would not have been able to predict that or tell you that that would have been like a real feasible thing, but goddamn, dude, like I don't really like his wrestling matches all that much anymore. I feel like his death matches have definitely have definitely um not been as good. He has his moments like the Nick Gage versus Chris Statlander match. Um, nerd or death kill can be fun, but for the, for mostly I don't like his matches as much. But goddamn, like this dude is such an undeniable star. Like five years later, in a way that like no dude of his kind has ever been yeah no i mean he is we were actually kind of talking about that last night with like the deathmatch guys who who branch out and, and get star power necro being probably the the biggest one ever but i mean gage is in that conversation you could almost even say gage is like a bigger star overall than necro ever really was it's a it's a it's, it's a it's a it's a legitimate five-year run yeah. being an in-demand indie act and i will call necro what what's what's necro's run like three years yeah and he was maybe a little bit more all over the place. You would see more like Necro on like major, like, you know, he's in the wrestler movie. He was like, you know, people would talk about him on the news and stuff. So like, he was a little bit more mainstream, but it was more like gawking at him. I think, um, engaged just as like only in wrestling. I don't think anybody outside of wrestling knows who Nick Gage is at all, you know? Um, so, but yeah, I mean, much longer run, realistically a top guy everywhere. Not even like Necro was kind of a novelty act in a lot of places. Um, yeah, he was. Respect, he, he, but you know, yeah. But Gage is like a, the top guy everywhere that he goes. Even this show, we get this wonky, weird fucking finish that like doesn't make any sense and feels like I don't know. Like I said, maybe there's something going on backstage with Tessa's poor attitude here. Um, that like, especially doesn't make sense when you then watch the rest of the fucking show and Nick Gage is repeatedly references being the b- biggest badass in the company. And, you know, that he's going to challenge everybody for a, to a fight and everybody wants a piece of him. But he fucking lost in the first match. <laughs> like, does that make sense if that's the way that you're booking the show? I don't think so. So I feel like that booking probably got changed a little bit. Or maybe there was, like, an issue there because it seemed like a weird count. The ref wasn't into it. And then Gage shoots on the ref. You know, maybe I don't think he's shooting on the ref. I don't think it's a... I'm not shooting on him. Yeah, I don't he's think not it's shooting a on him. Like he's not... But he attacks. He's, he's not. He's not. He's not. La Park fucking <laughs> like putting a shirt over the guy's head when he didn't even know the spot. Like. Yeah, but uh, but he does get his heat back attacking the ref, which just felt like yeah, like so fucking pointless and and didn't make any sense if you watch the rest of the show because why would you have the guy who's going to challenge the main event winner lose in the opening match? Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, but he's Nick Gage. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, sure. <laughs> like that's the, like that, like that's the thing. Like, all, like ultimately here is that Gage can lose, and I don't think it actually matters to him one bit. I think his reputation and his star power is like so cemented at this point that like Gage can. I think Gage can lose like twenty straight matches, and it would not fucking matter at all. Yeah. Like, if they announce like Joey Janela Spring Break, Will Ospreay versus Nick Gage, like. Shit, like, you know what I mean? Like, right. like, like it's not, like it's not, like it's, it's still gonna be the exact same thing. 
Um, what I found interesting is Tessa Blanchard in the post match calls out Amazing Red for, and I think, and I think that's booked for the No Holds Barred uh, Volume Two show that they're doing in Tampa. Yeah, that is interesting, and uh, it does seem like Tessa is completely 100% intergender now at this point like she just doesn't wrestle women um even on the indies but uh but yeah that's that'll be an interesting match I mean this match was good um Tessa can do kind of a brawly fight style pretty well I don't know what she's gonna do with red like honestly so but red's still really fucking good on like what I've seen from him in his kind of resurgence his new kind of new japan run that he's been doing was doing late last year a little bit with a couple matches here and there i mean red is still very good there was i mean there was never a time where i didn't think he was good because i have paid attention to him on and off um in uh, nywc right is that the no no, no he's a uh, ring of house of glory um your yeah, hog yeah hog house of that's not owned by, that's, that's, that's not owned by masterpiece yes, yes. <laughs> master ah wrestling what the <laughs> fuck? um but yeah, like he's always he's been good this whole time. But so we'll see what what he can do with Tessa because I don't know that that's necessarily where she shines, basing for like a flyer. But yeah, she might be able to pull it off. She, I think, uh, from what I've seen, she's a good base. Yeah. From what I've seen, yeah. Follow next match, nothing to it, and it's interesting because I hear a lot of people go crazy for this Casanova Valentine, um, and Homicide obviously is Homicide like still got great star power and, and presence, and he knows how to put a match together. But he, you can tell he's really this was it. this was a. This was a murder. Like, yeah. if that's what you're into, then yeah, like this is more like fetish, po- like fetish murder porn than like actual match. Right, and a lot of really goofy gimmicks. You got what's his name bringing out the fucking the, the like cultivator, the the thing that you use to like dig up weeds and shit, and then uh, the fucking the dildo with all the nails in it. The the Homi- I think homicide homicide wrestles the entire match with the Michael Myers mask on. <laughs> no, not the whole thing, but he puts it back on um, midway through the match, which is funny. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of goofiness in this. And then also just like, yeah, Casanova bleeding buckets and getting his ass kicked, which I think is what people like about him. But this was not a good showing for him. I haven't seen, I maybe have seen one or two other matches of his. He's never stood out, but this was not a great showing for him. For a guy who I hear people talk about how good he is, you know. Uh, Alex Colon versus Jimmy Lloyd. This this is fun, but like, Man, is it just me? I'm not really that big on Jimmy Lloyd, man. I've never have I never have been even dating back to like the Dojo Wars days, and I've just I've just never got him with Jimmy. I I really respect him growing into having a character that feels legitimate now and really feels like a wrestler with some star power compared to the Dojo days because the Dojo days he like he was like the epitome of that meme where you're like that guy's probably never had a girlfriend and then you're spitting out the cereal or whatever. Like he just looked like such a dork, and I met him before he was even. Uh, doing Dojo Wars, he came to Ebola the year where um, where uh, Drew Gulak and Biff Busick were in Ebola the first time. He uh, he had came out just on the trip, and I met him. You know, it seemed like an okay kid, but it was funny because everyone was shitting on CZW, and he was the one person in the crowd that was like, you know, chanting for CZW, and he was pro CZW. And then a couple like months later, I saw him at the dojo, and I was like, oh, hey, there's that kid. I guess he really does no, like no, CZW. No, no, he, no, he's like he's like literally. The product of death of deathmatch era like 2000s 2010s wrestling yeah. which like you know that's, that's, that's literally what he grew up on yeah. so like i admire it and this, but it's like you know okay. he like he like he's their guy like for like if you're like a deathmatch person if you watch like cdw in um in gc in gcw and, like all the other scattered deathmatch death feds around around the country like yeah he's, like he's one of you guys he's like the embody he's like he's the embodiment yeah. of that no definitely he's kind of like kevin steen um Mick Foley thing, the, the the everyman guy who like the crowd sees themselves in. 
um, in there. And and like I said, he's kind of put together at least somewhat of a character, and he feels like something special and not just a dork. Um, that said, I mean, this match would be like the fourth or fifth best match in like a you know nick gage invitational tournament or something it was like this was not they were hitting the token stuff and they were doing the deathmatch spots that they do in gcw but they weren't it wasn't like some great fucking deathmatch um up next something similar but a little bit better i think has a little bit more oomph to it and and these guys really beat the piss out of each other with uh, eric ryan and, and john wayne murdoch uh what did you think of this one i thought, I thought this ruled yeah i thought this i thought this is probably this i thought this was the second best match on the show they both they both bled they both bled a lot, and there's a little bit more violence going on to it. They definitely went for something a little bit more longer or epic, I guess. That was like more des- like designed to be a great match. I think this is John Wayne Murdoch's first time coming to um to ICW New York because he's I think he's usually a fucking um IWA got yeah like I like IWA uh deep like deep south or, or deep south guy or whatever or whatever like so. This so him coming over here and really showing what he's worth over there over here on the East Coast, which you know, for better or for worse, has become sort of like the death, like like always has been, I guess, and like and now more than ever is really secured as like the deathmatch capital of 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 the U.S. Him going over there and facing a guy like Eric Ryan that you know if he's a proven guy, and it's really it's really good, man. They bleed a ton, they hit the shit out of each other, they build it builds well. And everything, and, and even though it's clear in the post batch when the guy, when whoever the fuck that is, comes out, and they're talking about like, man, yeah, I wanted, I wanted you, don't wanted this match to happen to show how good these guys are. Like it was clear they're going for a great match, but it was, it was a good match. Like, like it, it worked. Yeah, no, they definitely pulled it off, and I liked the finish. Um, putting over the kind of referee stoppage um, was good because no one else had really done that yet up until this point. Um, and it was just, it looked brutal. John Ryan uh, or Eric Ryan is a guy that like. I'm uh, I'm liking what I'm seeing him, but I just I'm not going out of my way to check out a bunch of his, and he's probably someone who I should be paying a little bit more attention to because I actually think he's pretty good, um, especially in a you know deathmatch kind of setting. And Murdoch, I've always liked Murdoch, honestly. Um, obviously, he kind of has waxed and waned with his look, looking better or worse, but uh, but always pretty solid in ring it for like you know wanton violence. Um, this next match, I'm going to assume I liked more than you, and I totally understand why. So it's like kind of flip-flop inverse there. I might say that I think this is the second-best match on the show. Um, like I said, I really liked that it kind of it felt more like it was a Fight Club vibe. We get Killer Cross versus Tony Deppin. Um, Cross is just super intense. And I remember fucking years ago. He's another guy. Like I saw Cross years ago at small indies around here. I had a friend who goes to PWG shows who lives in Vegas and would see him at like Future Stars of Wrestling. And him and a lot of people would always slag off Cross. And I always saw him and I just I, I liked his intensity. I thought that he brought a really cool intensity. Cross is, Cross, Cross is good. Like he does like goofy ass promos, but like you know for some reason they worked in Impact. Like again, like I'm not gonna not the guy for that. But as far as his wrestling, yeah, like Cross has been a guy that's been around for a while and I always thought he was good. Yeah. Uh, it was just like weird to me that like he just suddenly took off. Yeah. But I always thought he was solid. Yeah, I, it was weird because I would always just hear people kind of t- shit on him, and I just never really got it. I'm like, what? what's the fucking problem? He's good. And I think he's done nothing but improve. And this was a great situation to show that off, that, like, his kind of the MMA training stuff that he likes to add into his matches now. Um, he had that, you know, that really good match at Bloodsport. And then kind of, you know, winning with, like, repeated Saito suplexes. I thought the commentary, was it Drew, was it Drew Cordero on commentary for this show? It sounded like him. Yeah. I couldn't tell it was him. Like, the way that he put over the, the Saito suplexes and how the match should have been called after the second one was, I thought, really great and really put over the violence and intensity from Cross. And then this is what I'm talking Dude. about. Oh, go ahead. 
Tony looked fucking tiny, man. <laughs> I know. Like, like, I, like I was watching this, and like maybe because like like my my primarily like when I primarily think of Killer Cross, I think of that Timothy Thatcher match he had, right? And like he was around, he, was around, he was he was around the same size as Thatcher, and I didn't think anything of it. But then here he is with Tony, and Tony has never looked small to me ever. And then here he is with Killer Cross, and Tony looks fucking tiny, dude. Like I was <laughs> I was so I was so shocked by it. Because Killer Cross is fucking jacked, and I knew that, but he's way taller than I expected yeah, him to be. Cross is pretty so big. Tony Depp, so Tony comes out in his fucking in his fucking Daisy Dukes, <laughs> and it's like, oh, like all right, like Tony looks like a fucking absolute geek here, and I love Tony, but it was just like, okay, I have no clue how this is gonna work, and it's like it's it's a, for what for what it is, it's really good. Like Tony being completely out of his league, but he has these moments of hope, and Killer Cross is just his fucking tank and everything, but. I was so shocked looking at them looking at them size wise because Tony looked like he shouldn't even be in the ring with him. Yeah, no, it, it it's nuts. Yeah, Cross is a big dude. I saw him wrestle in a three way that had uh, Keith Lee in it, and he looked like on level of size as Keith Lee. Keith Lee's obviously much thicker, but um, but it wasn't like shorter, you know, than him. So yeah, was, he's, a, he's a big guy. Thatcher's also pretty big, so Thatcher's yeah, yeah Thatcher's like six yeah yeah Thatcher's like six six three two thirty like yeah. you know, like so it was like. You got you have you kind of take for granted how big Thatcher is until you until he wrestles somebody. That again, like if you like if you got Thatcher in the ring with like Deppin, Deppin would look fucking small. Yeah, no, I mean Thatcher Thatcher's big and like he's deceptively large because yeah, like you watch him and you don't really see it, especially because he wrestles so much on the mat, you know. So you're not seeing him standing there. Um, this next match, I mean, fuck, this is oh yeah. So post match, Killer Cross, you know, says that you know they hit. Uh, Gage's music, like I said, you're bringing back the guy who loses in the first match, uh, and like they just play his music, and then Cross says like, "Oh yeah, he did the right thing, not coming out." So hopefully, building towards something there, that'll be fun. Uh, I think a rematch. They faced each other before. Um, so I think I think they're on the next ICW yeah, show facing each other. They probably are, um, but I think that they faced each other in, at a blood sport. Um, I think that's right. I don't remember. Either way. Uh, that'll be fun. I think that those two were pretty good together before. This next match, I feel like shouldn't have happened, and it was kind of fucking embarrassing and sad. Um, Necro versus Butcher versus Slack. I was thinking about Slack when I first saw him in the Dojo Wars stuff, and it's like he looks—he always looked like shit, but he looks even worse now. He's just fucking grotesque, which kind of works for a deathmatch guy. Necro, though, fuck man, he looks so old. He like, I don't know. He just, yeah, I, I don't. He doesn't look I, like Necro. No, he just looks like a random old dude just like walked in, in this sort of like pick, like pick like picked a fight with like the weirdest looking guy in the bar. Yeah, and it's not in an endearing way either. Like you know how with like lucha, yeah, and again it's like this isn't your wheelhouse. But like say if like fucking like Black Terry right is having like this like this walking brawl with somebody. Well, well he's up there in age. He's an old guy, but like he still you know feels like he can hold his own there. Like. Necro and them trying to do and trying, them trying to do spots other than like punch each other, it just it just didn't it just didn't work. Like the punching the punching spot rule, they, I mean even Necro's punches didn't look great. Like I mean like if, like if Necro can't if Necro can't even give you give me a good punch, and I, I don't I don't know what we're doing here, man. Yeah, the thing about Necro and you know, I'll probably get fucking crucified for saying this is that I think that his punches always looked weird in a wrestling context. He didn't throw wrestling style punches. But it worked because it was Necro, and it also worked because you knew that he punched people hard as shit because people talked about how hard right. he punched. But so in this setting where he's kind of older and frail, and he's also still throwing these weird punches that just don't look like wrestling punches. They just look like a guy like throwing random wild strikes out, and he's like old and frail. It just 
there's nothing to it. You just can't buy into it at all. Like it just looks weird in, in the setting. It's kind of jarring. Um, he can barely get up for the power bombs. Um, you know, obviously Schlack, you know, is you know, rumored to be a roid monster. So maybe he's all show and, and no go there. He can't get Necro up, but yeah, Necro can barely get up for the power bombs. They all look fucking scary and dangerous and not in a good way that you would want. And, uh, and yeah, like you said, I mean, there, there can be endearing older man comeback things, but this was not that. And the post-match stuff didn't like feel again. It didn't feel endearing. It didn't feel like, like Necro, you know, lost a step and he's old but he valiantly stood toe to toe like at the end of it it just felt it was sad, sad. Like, yeah like, like, not, like not even like not even in a pco way right like me and you were in like me and you and a lot of our friends were in the minority i think when it came to pco that we just weren't fans of it and we thought it didn't come across great but to a lot of people the pco stuff from the like from the walter match and everything else he did in gcw and black label pro it must have came across well this I, I can't imagine watching this and like I can see maybe like being entertained by it in like a surface level like they really just punched each other kind of way and there was blood, but I can't imagine wanting to see Necro Butcher again. I I just can't fathom it. No, and I can almost understand being excited to see like a Deathmatch Legend live for the first time ever or whatever. But like, yeah, it it was again. It was just like sad. This next match fucking absolutely rocked. Um, Mance Warner versus uh, Dan Moff, and it was like whatever until Moff spears Mance through the door in the in the corner, and then it was like holy fuck, and like <laughs> Moff is a fucking beast. Like it was really smart for of them to do that relatively quickly because the idea of like Mancer kind of doing his Mancer brawling and trying to be believable against Moff would just wouldn't work. Um, so Moff then just like destroying him was fucking great. Like I I loved. Moff's just big badass intensity and like he's so weird <laughs> like I was looking at Moff and just watching him and thinking about that he basically just signed a fucking contract with ROH and I'm just like his body is so weird he's just so big and like bloated but like strong and the stuff that he can do is like crazy and just like I'm just like this guy like how old is he how long has he been wrestling he's coming <laughs> back to ROH but he fucking rules like he's just he's big and scary he's like I hear people talk about wrestlers all the time and like you know stuff like this and how you know, great they are and I'm always like eh I don't really see it but Moff I fucking see it and I think that people kind of underestimate just how badass he looks uh, all the time and he had that kick-ass match with Cobb at the at the recent um, ROH show that was like on the pre-show or something um, that was really good too so yeah like I mean Moff still fucking owns and this match was like like I said badass Moff hitting some big spots the burning hammer was nuts like yeah there's a lot of cool stuff in here. Uh, I don't like Mance Warner, right? Okay. I got, I, I, I like I've never liked Mance. Uh, our our pal Simon over at uh, Handwork his his blog over there, blog over there, really encapsulated the fact that everything about Mance feels like super phony to me. It feels like a tribute. It feels like a complete tribute act to people that long for a lost era of professional wrestling, but didn't actually watch the stuff. Right. So, like, so so Mance was just never my thing. Like I, I understand, like on a certain, like you know, like surface level entertainment. Like he does a good Stone Cold impression. He does the eye pokes. He's funny. Like I, I get it. But as far as actually buying him in the ring, I've never been able to do that. I feel like Mance has largely been pretty mediocre in the time that I've been watching his wrestling. So here, watching Dan Math just beat the shit out of him, it feels natural to me. It feels like that's what should be happening because Mance Warner's a fucking geek. Like Dan, <laughs> like, like, like Dan Math. Should be just beating the shit 
out of Mance Warner because Mance Warner is a poser that should not be in the ring with like with like a legitimate hard ass guy like Dan Math. So I would so yeah, I, I enjoyed it from that aspect. There were some real there were some really nutty spots in this. Like Math looked like a fucking look like a monster, and it, it's maybe the best he's ever looked. Not the best he's ever looked, but the best he's looked in a long time. I rather, but. Yeah, like that, that. That's why it hit for me is that it finally felt like Mance Warner being treated how he should be treated, and not as a geek. Right. I remember early on, I was like, I I liked the Mance Warner promo stuff, and it was fun. But I think I was caught up in the like you said, like kind of the the tribute actiness of it. Like I was just like, oh, this is you know, this is fun, and it kind of reminds me of like Dusty in some ways, and this and that. But like you said, I think that he misses the soul of it. And that's a good. It's not. It's not. It's not genuine. Yeah. It's very much a tribute act. Yeah, and it's like it's not even like you said. It's like a Xerox of a Xerox or something where it's like you don't even remember the original because you weren't even like you probably have barely even watched it, any of that. You probably watched a bunch of like Rock and Roll Express shoot interviews and are basically just playing like Robert Gibson doesn't give a fuck the character, you know. <laughs> so it's like okay, um, you know, but that's that's cool. But yeah, I like the post match stuff and uh, and you see uh, Steve Mac. Uh, pop up on the on the stage there and he's uh he's hanging out monster mac um so that's pretty cool uh all in all i mean oh that was another thing i was thinking about when i talked about like <laughs> maf's weird body and his style and everything it's like it's so funny to think like you know him low-key homicide they're all these like you know guys from new york who are like kind of hard play these like streetish characters but all eddie kingston yeah eddie kingston but all really fucking love like 90s all japan like you know like they they're really into like king's road shit so it's like it's you know weird. what it is it's like it's just like imagine like watch imagine like all the um like like that like like mac and and, and mav and kingston and homicide just all some like somewhere in like i don't know like i don't, I don't know where i don't know where homicide what part of i think he's from brooklyn right yeah i think so like so imagine them like huddled up in like uh like i don't know like on Tro- on troy ave in brooklyn <laughs> it's like like it's in, in, in like in the in their in their parent in like someone's basement just watching these fucking kobashi versus uh, yeah. steve williams matches all huddled up it's, like, it's weird fuck it's doing? fucking weird but i guess it's like it's also like the stuff with wu-tang being super into kung fu shit you know it's just it's oh yeah totally because like that's the thing with like homicides but like homicide in particular like if you know homicide story like Everything about him is legitimate. Right. I don't know the extent of it with like with with uh with Kingston and and Mac and and Math, but Homicide's story is very legitimate. Right. So yeah, like so imagining him sitting there and just watching and going over all these King's Road tapes is, is funny. But like you can say in 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 a, in a King in like a Wu Tang way, like it makes sense because like you know you're out there doing something else and something else interested you and it happened to be King's Road match layouts for Homicide and now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it is, it is like the idea that like you're a warrior in the streets and whatever, but you like to see this like version of it where it's like, you know, respectful yeah. and like, it's like treated like an art by people who, who are like, you know, have like whatever. And like, you know, it's, it's really nice to be able to like probably see that and feel like it kind of mirrors you and you have that, you want to believe that you also have that, um, like that moral conviction and you're not just like some shitty hoodlum in the street or whatever. Um, so it does, it probably does help in that way. But it's, it's funny. One thing I always remember about homicide when you talk about that shit being real is when he was explaining his name homicide and that he was like people from where he's from didn't know what that word meant. And I'm just kind of like, that seems like another planet to me. Cause like I yeah, know, I've like known the, what homicide means because, since because, because they think 
Yeah, because they think like, that all they know is the word murder. Yeah, like, like they, they <laughs> murder, murder, kill. kill. Like they, but they've never heard like the police term, you know, like homicide. It was just it's very funny to think about that. I'm like, fuck, man, like that's just a, a totally different world. Um, all right, main event here. I don't know. Okay, so you said that you thought um, Ryan versus Murdoch was the second best match. What match did you think was the best match on the show? Oh, Mance versus Math. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, so I, I thought that was the best on there, too, and probably my second was Depp and Cross. Main event, Loki versus Takeda. Um, you get, like, a weird updated version of Suit Loki where he's wearing, like, a gi top and, and slacks with a, with kickers on. Um, and, you know, Takeda is Takeda. He doesn't dress up and act goofy. He's always... Yeah, he's, not, he's not here to do anything special. <laughs> yeah, he's always just being Takeda. But these guys, like I said, they kind of brought the kung fu kind of dungeon not dojo fight dojo war um kind of vibe they uh look he was working i'll give him that and like it is when you see him come out in the suit i do something like get scared that he's going to be oh look oh look i'm right there with you i, I have i have low-key psd yeah like ptsd like you know what i mean like i've been super excited for low-key matches and i saw him come out and i'm like fuck yeah he's gonna dog it and he didn't but they you know they bring in the scissors and I don't know. Scissors are a bit much. I mean, I know that that Takeda does scissor boards, but like actually trying to stab someone with scissors feels like a totally different thing. You know what I mean? And it just it feels like taking. It yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a fan of scissors either. Like I can take deathmatch stuff. Like I can take. I can take like syringe spots and Kenzan and all that stuff. Like 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 scissors for for me will always just I I I can still like like that's when it's like okay yeah <laughs> I can't do that yeah and I like the the kind of tying Takeda up finish with loki just like beating the fuck out of him while he's tied up i thought that was pretty cool um so yeah i mean this was this was pretty badass fight um, it was it was it was fun like yeah. kind of a disappointment but it's like that might be like a victim of high expectations like loki is cut like loki's coming off like a pretty good last two years and like at his best like loki's been really good masashi takeda is the most like palatable deathmatch guy in the world. He can do the deathmatches, then he can also come and work on the mat and do more traditional style stuff. So you were again like I, I had really high expectations for this just on paper, and maybe I shouldn't have. You know, it's Loki, not an MLW where he do, usually gives his most effort. Is you know, it's it's a really like a random booking that I'm not sure any either of these guys were particularly, were particularly excited about. So yeah, I, I don't I don't know. But it, it it was good for it was good for for it, but it's maybe like a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah, for some people, I could definitely see that. And like it was it was fine and it was quick. And you talk about it being a disappointment. I think that the finish, while they tried to get over the knockout, and I think that they did a good job, like with the Killer Cross Deppen knockout. Um, this knockout just didn't make sense, and I felt like it made it anticlimactic. Uh, I, I liked it. You liked it? Yeah, cause just because just it looked so nasty and brutal, you know what I mean, like. Maybe, like, you don't buy as much of a knockout because all he did was step on the guy's back. Right. But it looks so, it looks so crazy, though. Like, the Heidi gets on the double stomp and Takeda being there completely unprotected and he just caves his back in. Now, the way the ref called for the, called for the knockout, like, me, yeah, I guess I guess he's having a problem with that. But, like, the actual spot, like, I thought looked good enough as to where, like, it, like, it had some credibility. Yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying and I just think that it added to the disappointment of the match it felt a little anticlimactic because it just comes out of, right. out of nowhere and it's just over even i mean the spot looked great don't get me wrong there and i could buy it if you t- if the story that you're telling is that the referee sees a blow like that that's really over the top and it's just calling the match without even checking if there's a knockout because it's just that's too much like that's beyond the pale of like 
the level of blow that you can see someone take and think that they're going to be okay. Um, so that can kind of make sense, but it just, it felt a little, it just, like I said, anticlimactic. Cool spot, looked great, but the match was already a bit of a letdown, and then having it finish like that where it just, it's just over, and the referee's just calling for it off of a double stomp like that does make you go kind of just like, oh, I'm missing, I'm kind of missing out on something here. Or at least that's how it felt for me. Um, I mean, I, fuck, he was all tied up. I mean, he could have just kicked the shit out of him, you know what I mean? Like, he could have just kicked him. Like on the yeah, we could have got some we could we got some roundhouse kicks. Yeah, but you know it works. Um, it's believable, like I said, in the sense that like it was such a over the top strike that you could believe that the ref just calls it on that. But I thought again, I just thought that it, it added to the match, kind of feeling a little flat. Get the post match again. Gage comes out again. And he, the person who wins in the main event, he challenges him to a fight. Um, you know, even though he lost in the opening match, so very very weird. Uh, but. I mean, that'll be cool. That was intense. Obviously, Gage is fucking crazy. We'll see how that goes. Because, like you said, Loki, like we both said, Loki can be whatever. But he's been good. He's been consistently good for the past couple of years. But he also isn't working a lot outside of MLW. Like, that's where he's being consistently good. So, we'll see what happens here. Um, if he respects Gage enough to give him something in, in I, ICW, uh, New York. I don't know. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else we want to talk about here? Uh, yeah, we're going to review Wrestle Kingdom Night 1 and 2 uh, from top to bottom, including the pre-show dark matches. Um, so, yeah, everybody hang on. Oh, man, I, man I, need, I, need your, I need your really sincere and emotional thoughts on the last two Jewish Thunder Liger matches. Oh, no, it's huge. And then the ceremony at the New Year's Dash the next day, I mean... <laughs> I, feel, I, feel, I, feel bad for, I feel bad for being, like, sort of dismissive of, like, the Liger... Um, retirement stuff, but like, I'm 22. Right. <laughs> like, like, Liger isn't my guy. Like, if you were someone that was like a kid around the time Liger was debuting in WCW and doing the stuff with Pillman and like and all that, like, yeah, like Liger was a light, like it was like was a game changer for you. But I, like, well, like, I'm 22 years old. Like my game, my, my game changer was AJ Styles. Right. Like, <laughs> like, so, like I'm just I like I saw so, like I totally like love Liger, respect Liger top 15 wrestler of all time at least for me and usually could be higher like a, like a number one guy for for people and i wouldn't bat an eye at it but like he's just like like emotionally he's not my guy right just don't get the the emotional connection and like you know um he had a great career and like you said he could be your number one wrestler of all time it wouldn't be shocking he had an insanely good career but he's liger and like part of what makes him great and made him so great is he how selfless he has been this entire time but also what makes it hard for me to get like super excited is like his retirement is going to he kind of doesn't want it to be a big thing because it is like yeah, but, but that's, that's who Liger is yeah. his style is just like he's you know he's obviously very emotional and it's a big deal to him but he he goes out on his back two nights in a row putting over younger stars and uh you just know that like yeah like to him it's like he really appreciates this and probably if it was up to him he may not have even done anything this big um just because i think that he he was pretty smart about not wanting the focus to be on him but either way i was joking about talking about wrestle kingdom and now you get me into actually talking about it so, uh, <laughs> no yeah, we can we can get we can get out of here well, i'll just say jay white was robbed uh jay white should have walked away with both metal belts um, oh before we go jay white rant oh yeah people I understand that we had our brains poisoned in the last decade or so with New Japan and a lot of their heels being cool. I understand that. Prince Devitt, 
really cool guy. AJ Styles, AJ Styles, cool. Kenny Omega, cool to some people. <laughs> Tetsuya Naito, Tetsuya Naito, extremely cool individual. Minoru Suzuki, really, really cool. Even Very for his age, he's like he's a he's a super cool guy. I know that it's hard to comprehend the fact that someone in New Japan is not cool. I I I really do get it. But we gotta stop being mad at someone for not being the cool heel when they're really trying to not get that across. If that takes away your enjoyment of these matches because he is not this cool, because he's not a cool guy, then that is fine. But 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 yeah, I just like the Jay White stuff that I that I saw doing like the, like the Wrestle Kingdom viewing is just like like does every heel have to be cool now? Is like is that is that is that where we're at? But but yeah, that, that's that's all I had to say there. Like, look, I understand that the lineage of like clear heels in New Japan has shown the people that are like cool and have that sort of like like coolness about them. You know, I, I get it. Just remember, cool like heels aren't aren't also don't have to be cool either. That's it. Yeah. No. Good point. You know what? I was just you. You mentioned I'm gonna, I thought about Suzuki. If you follow the the Minoru Suzuki Instagram, that his drip is phenomenal. So he is very cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, yeah. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, and check us out on Twitter at Q and T R. And uh, we'll be back next week. The way your heart speeds up when you notice someone walking behind you. Say they can't just stop being friends with him because of what